0: Blog Talk Radio Welcome to the Let's Talk CFL Podcast.
1: Roundtable discussion recorded live on Sunday and Wednesday nights. Visit Let's Talk CFL on Facebook for Showtime. Brought to you by the Let's Talk Sports Groups on Facebook. Our partners, LostWorld on Stream live on BlogTalkRadio.com. Football fan from coast to coast, down in the south, and around the world, wherever you might be listening to us tonight, good evening and welcome to Let's Talk CFL, episode number 396, Jeez, four more episodes, we're at episode 400, it just keeps flying by, when are we going to hit the thousand, it's going to be here quicker than we know it. But good evening, welcome to the show tonight, and we're glad you're with us wherever you might be listening to, or maybe you're listening to us after the fact on a download, or however you're listening to us, Pirated Stream. No, I don't want to endorse that, but good evening anyways. Uh, Let's Talk CFL. It's a Sunday night, September the 15th of 2019, and, well, three more games in the books as we keep going along in the CFL season. And i got to tell you, it's finally nice to have a game where I was able to celebrate the w- a win. I uh, haven't felt it much this season. Only one other time did I feel it, and that was on a weird circumstance where Chris Rainey stepped on a uh, stepped on the back end zone line and kind of fluked our way in the win. Well, there was no fluke about it on Friday night at BC Place. We'll get into that in a little while, but... It was certainly nice to finally celebrate a win after all those losses. So I'm hopeful we get to do it a few more times before this season's out. Um, It doesn't look like the Lions are going to make the playoffs, but hey, I looked at it today. I mean, sure, they're eight points behind uh, Edmonton, but hey, uh, Trevor Harris went down with the injury. Not a lot known about it. No one knows how long he's going to be out for. Edmonton lost, they haven't been playing very well, but so who knows, the CFL, anything can happen. Now, I'm not saying I think the Lions are going to make the playoffs, because I don't, but you you can have a dream. Dream lofty goals. But anyways, good evening and welcome to the show tonight. Um, I know we still got one more week technically left of summer, but here in BC it feels like fall already with a vengeance. Because we've had rain starting for the last well, since Friday, Thursday, Friday, I mean, I was at the Lions game, got there about an hour before the gates to the stadium actually open up, and it was in that hour that it decided to uh, open up and rain, which is not always fun, especially when you're at BC Play Stadium, because there's not a lot of cover outside, so... A bunch of us were kinda of hiding there underneath uh the uh the little uh, overhang there, trying to stay dry until the doors open. I always wonder when the door when it's raining out, can't they be nice and just let us in like fifteen minutes early? I don't know. Maybe there's some sort of contract with the city or something where they're not allowed to let people in early. It'd just be nice because it was it it wasn't just a little bit of rain either. It started out as a little bit of rain but it got heavier as the time went by. But we all huddled under, we all survived and got into the gate without the rainfall, without getting too wet. So, But it was an interesting weekend. Well, Friday night's game was a bit of a blowout, but both games on Saturday uh, were close, exciting games. So we've got some interesting stuff to talk about. We're also going to bring on a special guest this week. Um, uh, if you're on our Let's Talk CFL page or Let's Talk BC Lions page, and just a reminder, we have Let's Talk pages for all nine teams in the CFL. We even got one for the Atlantic Schooners, even though they don't officially have a team yet. Maybe they will one day. Who knows? But uh, a guy, his name is Jamie Ference, and he is a lifetime BC Lions fan. And uh, he was uh, lived most of his life in Winnipeg. Winnipeg. Yes, I know what you're thinking. A BC Lions fan in Winnipeg? That's rare, no kidding, it's rare, but he, he proves it exists, but he lived most of his life in Winnipeg, and now he has moved to Calgary. Well, he was out at BC. Place on Friday night for his first ever live BC. Lions game in Vancouver, and that was really cool. Uh, I got to meet him before the game. Uh, he met a lot of the other BC Lions fans, and he actually got in to watch the um, watch the uh, pregame warm-up. From the sidelines, which I've done a few times, it's really cool you get to see the guys up close warming up so that uh was a really neat thing. well we're gonna bring him on a little bit uh here uh he's gonna discuss um he's gonna discuss you know his experiences in the first uh first ever lions game here in Vancouver so that should be a uh, pretty interesting. he's a very nice guy he's a friend of mark Weddells who's uh of course one of our regular panelists so that should be uh, very interesting to bring him on. So speaking of which, I think it's time to bring our other panelists on because they're probably sitting there waiting for me to do that. And as normal people are saying, you're going on too long. Let's listen to somebody else. All you do is ramble. So I'm going to stop rambling, and I'm going to bring in the uh, aforementioned Mark Waddell from Winnipeg. Good evening, Mark. How are you tonight?
2: I'm doing really well. It was a fun That's good. weekend of football. It was. It was actually nice to see B C win as you know I how I end my it's
1: our podcast.
2: But it's always nice to see teens win. Juan yep. has finally left the building. Thankfully. Yeah. It was a great weekend of football.
1: Yes, it was. Uh twenty seven Celsius here. Well, it wasn't that here, it was about eighteen and raining. And but Twenty nine and sunny going. tomorrow.
2: Yeah, we're supposed to get twenty nine and sunny tomorrow, so I mean, yeah, we're getting this more of rain. summer well, you are yeah. in b c
1: yes, that's uh, that's quite true, and you <laughs> know, <laughs> when do we not get rain here in b c but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> actually, to be fair, it was a pretty nice summer. We didn't get a lot of rain, so yep, uh, speaking of interesting weather, they can have it in Calgary, we've got two people online from Calgary right now. Soon to be three, because um, um, Jamie's also from Calgary, but we got two currently, including Will McDonald, who just got home from getting a cup of coffee, I believe, or something like that. Good evening, Will. How are you?
3: I'm very, very good. Um, mm-hmm. I'm happy. I'm happy your BC Lions won this week. It's, so am I. That was, that was getting as rare as UFO sightings, so... Uh,
1: Apparently.
3: Um, um, But, hey... They're not they're not the worst team in the
1: CFL. No, that was pretty evident last Friday. <laughs> they're not the worst yeah, yeah, team. Yes
3: Yes it was. It's it's oh they're not God. the worst team. No. And Thank you, you know, man. you'd think that BC has fallen a lot this year, but not as much as Ottawa has fallen. As Ottawa went from a great cup last year to oh my lord.
1: Yeah, I don't know what they're they're going to do. They played for the Grey Cup, believe this or not, they that Ottawa team played for the Grey Cup less than a year ago. It was ten months ago they were in the Grey Cup.
3: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, and the scariest thing about Ottawa is their defense from last year is relatively the same. That's true. that's uh, pretty scary. It's just their offense that's lacking a little bit. So,
1: you know, uh, more than a little bit. Just saying,
3: yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I hear all the Bombers fans, all Bomber fans complaining they don't have their their second string quarterback is it and their second string running back is it. Well, imagine your team if you didn't have either. And and Ottawa doesn't have either. So, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty bad. Yep, that's true. All
1: right, and let's move on. He's been on hold for almost 10 minutes, so let's bring Phil in, our resident Saskatchewan Rough Rider fan, whose team got another exciting win over Montreal this weekend. Phil, how are you tonight? I'm pretty good, Charles. Too bad you That's got good. rained
4: on there on Friday night because the oh, uh, well. the rest of the Currys on Saturday enjoyed some really good weather for football, both in Saskatchewan and, and in Calgary.
1: Yeah. Yep.
4: I, uh, I, I, too bad you hadn't had your game Saturday. I talked to a friend uh, in North Vancouver that I talked to after every Riders game, and uh, he had walked down to a bar somewhere by Lonsdale Key, and uh, to watch the game, and had walked back home in beautiful weather on Saturday night, I understand.
1: Uh, It was a little better on Saturday, but the rain returned here for Sunday, so... And it actually, uh, the rain actually here came back Saturday night. During the day, it was fine, but once we got to the nighttime, the rain came back, so... Yep. Alright, so we got that. Welcome to the show. You know what? I just noticed something here on the board. I think, uh... Our special guest is joining us uh, t- now. It looks like his number's up on the line, so why don't I bring him on the uh, on the show and introduce him? Uh, hold on a second, Jamie, you
0: there? I am here, gentlemen. Good evening, Jamie. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Long-time listener, yep. first time caller. Let's go with the old cliche. Yes.
1: Of course. Well, we're glad you listened, and we're glad you called. So we brought you in here. Uh, you had quite the experience uh, on Friday night at your first ever BC Lions game. So well, I, heard, I did, and thank you for all the rain. Yeah, well, sorry, I couldn't do much about
0: that, but <laughs> it's all but the Vancouver experience,
1: right? Yes, of course. You can't come to Vancouver and not have it rain. But you got a little lucky because you got to go in earlier than I did because you got to go down and do the. Um, the pre game warm up on the field. So you got in about half an hour before I did. I was still out there huddling underneath the uh underneath the the overhang like with everybody else so they didn't get soaked.
0: <laughs> I did and I wanna thank uh the Let's Talk B C line member Steve Marshall for helping me out to get that. It was a little uh, birthday gift for myself from the Lions, so I do appreciate that. Yep. Well Steve I do time back down that. you on quite
1: well. Yep. I know Steve quite yeah. well. He's a very good guy. Him and his wife, Eva, very nice people. Both very nice people, and uh, they're on both the uh, Let's Talk BC Lions and Let's Talk CFL, so they're, they've they been around for a long time. And they used to meet up with us all the time. We used to go out, and we used to watch games at bars as a group, and we actually haven't done that for a long time, but Steve, Steve and Eva uh, came out a lot, so they were fun to hang out with. So.
0: Yeah, it was a pleasure to meet them both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was a good time around right. there um, yep. Got to see some of the players uh, Up close and watch them uh, Warm up for a little while I Got to meet some of the felines, of course Yep. Um, I even got treated to a little uh, Backstage In the lounge, a little speech From uh, George Takei and uh, David Braley um, Got a little oh. Message, they were talking to all the season ticket holders
1: David Braley Was there, I didn't know that
0: he was there, and they were talking about uh, how they understood the frustrations of the uh, the fan base with the 1-in-10 uh, record at the time, now 2-in-10. Mm-hmm. Um, but they understood that, and they were explaining about how um, they want to make it easier for the fan base in the future to basically find more merchandise, because that was my biggest problem out there was I was trying to find a brand-new jersey to pick up, because the one I had was a little old and ragged. And I was shocked there was no store at the uh, stadium itself, like many other stadiums have. Yeah. So they you said have, they were just um, gonna. Go ahead.
1: No, I was gonna say they just—they have all the kiosks around the uh, the concourse there, but they do not have a physical store. You're correct.
0: Yeah, like I know I was at the uh, I was at Mosaic Stadium and they have the rider store, and of course at uh, IGF in Winnipeg they have the bomber shop. Yeah.
1: Yep. So I was kind
0: of uh, caught off guard. There was no, like, lion's den or any kind of lion's store outside. So it was difficult to find a jersey, actually, um, but I was able to find one. But, uh, but yeah, they were talking about just making that a little bit easier and possibly looking at a store in the future. And yep. uh, they were talking about for the future, you know, because uh, there was a little Q&A, and somebody mentioned uh, what are the plans for, for the future to not make this sort of season happen again. And they were looking at building a winning team, um, sort of, it's a rebuilding season, of course, as they put it, the old cliche again. Um, But they were disappointed because the players weren't playing to their potentials, and they want to make sure that uh, we're getting what we're paying them to do, which they aren't at this moment. Um, So, yeah, they were very disappointed in that as well. And I was also uh, surprised that Randy Ambrose was there, the commissioner of the league. Mm-hmm. And he did a little speech for everybody. And he was, uh, of course, he mentioned about the, uh, the Mexican uh, players are looking at and how they want to move into Mexico and bring more fan base up from there and get more players down from there. And uh, he was just very adamant how he wanted the CFL to be uh, very close, number two to the NFL. He wants to be very competitive with them. And uh, that came over pretty well. He seemed very... Very sincere about that And I think he's uh, determined to make the CFL A viable competitor to the NFL And I think it can happen in the future
1: Mm -hmm. Well it's interesting Because obviously we know that the league Has attendance issues In some markets, Not the least of which BC But uh, I mean that's certainly not the only issue Uh, There are all sorts of different issues Uh, I like the fact that they uh, They've signed a new five year deal With TSN because I think TSN mm-hmm. has done quite well for the uh, for the league. Um, so was there anything else noteworthy that came out of that from uh, the commissioner's point of view?
0: That was really the other thing actually. Was he was mentioning about the TV deal and he said how TSN has yep. been a great partner for years and they want it to be uh, another partner for at least another five years. So it doesn't sound like they're shopping around. So it yep. sounds like TSN is going to be the home for at least the near future. Um, yep. Other than that, nothing really noteworthy. Just he seemed very optimistic about the future and uh, he seems very passionate about wanting this league to succeed. And he wants teams around the league to be successful, including uh, possible expansion to uh, the Atlantic. He's, yep. uh, he wants that to happen. So everybody there was very um, on board with that as well. He wants the new rivalry to be uh, East Coast versus West Coast. He wants, we have the Winnipeg Saskatchewan rivalry he wants to have a BC Halifax rivalry and uh, there was a standing ovation for that so i think that's very um a good sign it's good
1: now one of the things i heard is that the um um one of the reasons that Randy Ambrosi was out here was to talk to prospective uh ownership groups uh potentially interested in buying the Lions. Did that come up from uh, the commissioner or David Braley at all?
0: It came up from a and a perspective. One of the season ticket holders brought that up. Um, they kept it pretty close to the chest, but uh, David Braley did mention that uh, there is something in the works and uh, something will come out in the near future, but that's uh, really all they said. Nothing really mm-hmm. too much about that. They wanted to keep it kind of mum at the moment. But uh, they said that there, uh, there is something in the works for that, and it's looking uh, very um, possible at this point.
1: Yeah. Well, that, I'm actually glad they're doing it that way, because I've seen how they were ha- they've were they been handling the ownership group uh, thing in Montreal, and they've been very public about it. And I think that, that causes more harm than good, because um, the more stuff gets negotiated and talked about in the media, uh, the more problems that seem to come up. So I'm glad that they're being more tight-lipped about it because I think that when you have it where it's not so tight-lipped, that's when you get into issues. So I'm glad that they're actually keeping it that way. Um, so what I'm going to do, too, is I'm going to open up the floor to the rest of our panelists. Um, um, well, before we do that, well, tell us about your experience, though, at the actual game and going through the... Uh, um, the, um, pre-game warm-up and the, the actual game itself?
0: Oh, it was, um, as you mentioned earlier, it was a lifelong dream to be there and uh, walking in, you know, it was like walking into Holy Grail. Um, you mean you see BC Place on TV all these years? And, um, you know, unfortunately living in Winnipeg, my, my father was born in Vancouver, so he brainwashed me as a kid to be a Lions fan. Um, good on him. So, but unfortunately, being a Winnipeg, job. the only games I get to were um, BC games against Winnipeg, and having to deal with uh, BC sucks chance all the time. Um, but going to games with uh, Mark who's on the podcast, yeah, yep. <laughs> going to games with Mark on the podcast was always fun. We Always had a good rivalry going on there, but um, mm-hmm. it was always in good fun. But actually, getting to see the Lions play at home was um, amazing. Um, as as I was leaving the game, you know, just seeing them dominate. It was just the the perfect game to go see. And, I mean, I almost got emotional at the end, you know. with the, I almost had a mm-hmm. tear in my eye. It was one of the greatest moments of my life. It was fantastic.
1: Well, glad you enjoyed it. Uh, glad you came out. Hopefully you'll come back and see another one here soon. Uh, hey, Absolutely. You might I'll be there even for a bomber game
0: next year, hopefully.
1: Drag, drag Mark with you. He can come out and visit us, too. Uh, so I'm going to open it up uh, to... Um, Anybody else, if you got any questions here for Jamie uh, or comments, I'll let uh, anyone who wants to comment, hop on in.
2: Jamie, when Braley was talking about, was it actually Braley that was talking about the sell of the team, or was it Ambrose? Uh,
0: that was Ambrose talking about that. Um, Braley did jump in that uh, moment, but it was mostly, uh, it was during the Ambrose Q&A where a fan brought it up. Um, As Ambrose was sort of mentioning that, you know, we're always looking into things and it's working. Um, That's when David Grayley kind of spoke up and said, you know, things are looking possible, so it's definitely looking um, probable in the near future and there would be more news coming out. So it was almost a joint effort on both of them.
1: Well, what I'm just kind of taking from that, too, because... I was unaware that David Braley was actually there. I don't know if they even mentioned it on TV, but I didn't know he was there. But my guessing is that if David Braley is out here for that, uh, it must be somewhat significant talks, because as we know, in the last few years, David Braley hasn't been in the best of health. So uh, I'm thinking if he's coming all the way out here to meet with people, there's some substance to it, because I don't know how much he's traveling around uh since he's had his health health issues.
0: Yeah, let's see what happens I guess.
1: Yep. As long as it's worth the
0: accolines. It, it it would be good yeah. um the, the best part I took from it was the um I do love the west east rivalry with B C and the Atlantic team. I think that'd be yep. fantastic. They just gotta uh get
1: their stadium straightened out. Exactly. Yep. Phil, Will, either of you got any uh, questions or comments here for Jamie?
3: None whatsoever, Jamie. I thought I thought Mark was the guy who created that DC sucks chant. So you're telling me everybody does it in Winnipeg, do
0: they? I believe Mark started it, and everybody just kind of followed oh, that. Oh, is one. that right? Maybe uh, just perfected I'll... it or something. Oh, okay. Okay. But I'll make sure next season I get to a uh, BC Bomber game in BC, and I'll make sure I start the Bomber Sucks chance, and we'll get that one Oh, going. there we
3: go, yeah. There you go. There you go. Yep. Doesn't have the same rhyme, though. BC Sucks is perfect.
2: It rolls <laughs> right off the tongue, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, it does. It just it does.
2: It just pours out like just majestic.
0: Whatever helps you sleep at yep. night. Yeah, of course. <laughs>
1: They're bomber fans. All
3: well, right. No, well, it's, it's, thank
1: you. It's, what?
3: Good, it's good for bomber fans because because they don't have to pronounce words. All they have to do is pronounce letters. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> At least they can spell BC. Yep.
3: Right. And just so you that's, know, Jamie. Just so you know, Jamie, I'm from Winnipeg too. So. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to
1: hear that. What, yeah, from what, what I understand. The Bomber fans spell BC right 75% of the time, so that's a pretty decent average. So <laughs>
0: even that's being generous.
1: Well, it might be. Hey, J- hey Jamie, it's still
0: it's still here.
4: Uh, great to hear about all your experiences at BC Place. Uh, that must have been awesome to be able to see David Braley, uh speak, and as well as Mr. Ambrosi. Um, my only experience ever at BC Place was for the 1990 Grey Cup, but uh, I, I got a question about attendance, actually, for both you and uh, and Charles, uh, uh, the buddy I mentioned earlier from North Vancouver, a uh, fellow Rider fan. He was at uh, he was at the game, and he said uh, the the actual attendance may have been quite a bit below the announced attendance, and and, and I could understand that season ticket holders are are maybe. Kind of given up on the on the Lions, but you, which, would be kind of surprising because they have been more entertaining lately. But what did? Uh, and, and maybe this question is for you, Charles, because you, you, you you know BC Place and you know what it yeah. kind of looks like. Was it pretty low?
1: It was. You know what? With about five minutes the game start before the game started. I looked around and I'm like, does every am I got it wrong? Does the game not start till 7:30? Because it it was really empty, but it did fill out uh, somewhat during the game. I I know it was. I mean, the problem is even though they tarp off tarp off the top, it's still a, a fifty thousand seat stadium. So anything less than like thirty thousand is going to look small. So I honestly think that the um, I saw what the announced crowd was. And I honestly think it was pretty accurate. Uh, it may have been a little lower, but it wasn't substantially lower. The crowds are lower, but even with the lower crowds we have now, it's still better than the late 90s. I I, I went to a couple games in the late 90s uh, during the Adam Rita era and um, Joe Pow Pow in 96. When there was less than ten thousand people there, and it was uh, they'd announced more like twelve, thirteen thousand. You knew that was BS. This one, I think that the actual attendance was probably pretty accurate. And and, and that was in
4: in the teens somewhere.
1: It was like sixteen thousand or something like that. So yeah, that would have been roughly because that's what they had announced for the previous game too, and it looked pretty similar. So. Uh, it, I would think it was fairly accurate.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, the,
4: the Now, this buddy of mine, he's kind of negative, and he, he he thought it was quite a bit lower than that. But uh, he said he was watching the next night uh, while the Ryder game was on, he was watching the uh, Whitecaps on another TV in this pub down um, by Lonsdale, and uh, he, sa- he figured the crowd was about the same size. Was he blowing smoke up my arse there, or?
1: No, because, you know what, it's funny, because I switched, uh, I'm not a big soccer fan, but I happened to switch it on to TSN, and the soccer game was on, and I was looking, and I'm like, yeah, they got a lot of empty seats there, too. So, yeah, he's not wrong about that.
2: Nobody's selling out anywhere for sports now. It's not just CFL. It's It's NFL. It's NHL. It's everything. Mm -hmm. There's people just aren't spending the money when you can, and I know it brings up the argument of blackouts, but when you can stay at home and watch it on TV and not pay the stupid prices that they charge, and you're way more comfortable, if you're not a diehard fan, you're staying home to watch it.
4: Right. That's no, true, Mark. And it's the TV money that's driving professional sports anyway, so it's not all negative. No, of course not. But if I... Yep. Yeah.
0: If I can jump in there, do you think part of the problem sure. is, too, there's not the fan experience to bring people to the games? Oh, like, sure. I noticed before the game, I was talking to you, True. Charles, and I was talking to Steve earlier, too, saying, like, what is there to do outside here before the game starts? And there really was not much really going on at all.
1: And then I was walking yeah.
0: around the next night, and you talk about the Whitecaps game, and I saw, unless I didn't see it uh, the day before at the Lions game, but uh, at the Whitecaps game the day after, I saw a big, um, almost like a tailgate Big party going on behind the stadium, so there's almost more going on for the soccer game than there yeah. was for the Lions game. So to, to bring up the point, you know, why would you go to the game if there's nothing to do? I think if you bring bring more entertainment or something to the games itself, more value for that money, I think it would bring more people out to the games itself. To
1: be fair, Jamie, at uh, a typical Lions game, there is a lot more going on outside because it was raining. There was a bunch of stuff that they typically have out there that was not there. They typically have a big beer garden out there. Uh, They still had the DJ. A lot of times they'll have, like, the cheerleaders out there doing a couple of the routines, and they'll have guys out there doing contests and stuff like that. Because it was raining, they didn't bring it out because typically if it's raining, no one hangs out out there because they all go, they just wait till the doors open and they go inside right away. So you kind of got a little bit gypped on that because a lot of times there's a lot more going on out there, but because of the rain, they didn't have it.
0: Okay, fair enough. Do you think still, though, do you think maybe there's more that teams can do though across the league to bring more more fans to the games?
1: Yep, sure there can. There always can be. I wish we could do tailgating in BC. Government won't let us. We used to be able to tailgate at at, uh, lots around the stadium. The government shut it down.
0: Yeah,
1: but there's more. Well, no there's, there's still more that they can do, though.
0: Yeah, I think every team across the league can do more. I mean, to bring the fans to the games instead of just sitting at home making your own entertainment, right. give them something at these stadiums that you can't experience at home. Yep. That's a
4: good point, Jamie. We're starting to see, uh, like in Hamilton and Saskatchewan, where the concourses and the uh, the walkways are full of people. And the stadium, we see lots of empty seats when there really isn't empty se- seats in those stadiums. And uh, there's sort of a party atmosphere. And, and right. uh,
3: Commissioner Ambrosi
4: has brought that up that uh, that in, in order to attract millennials, we, he wants to turn these stadiums into nightclubs.
0: Well, he actually brought that up too at the meeting at um, at the game I was at. He mentioned that how most of the stadiums now, and he, and he specifically mentioned uh, IGF. Uh, in Winnipeg, there, how it's more of like a concourse, more of wherever you are, you can see the game, not even from your seat. So he was saying that. Right. He like you said, he does like that style of stadium, but I don't, I don't know if that's actually the way to go, personally. I actually kind of like that one. I mean,
1: BC Place, you can't do that just because of the way the stadium is laid out. Um, it just doesn't happen like that. There's nowhere to put it because there's all the so you cons- would rather have
0: people in the concourse than in the seats?
1: Well I would rather you know, have them in the building than not in the building. So if that gets them into the building I'm happy with that. You
3: know? Enough. I'm kind of an I'm kind of an old school guy. Um isn't the entertainment on the field?
1: Yeah so that's that's what fair. I would
4: think.
3: Okay is, Sorry. Yeah I know
1: I know I know what, what you're gonna
3: say. I know what you're going to say. It's okay.
1: Now, I get now, it. Okay, yeah. I get Nowadays it. Nowadays, there's so many entertainment options out there that you got to add more to, to bring in the casual fans. So, the you dial- know, what I was thinking, I was thinking since everybody's talking about this, if, if, if
3: the Stamps ever build a new stadium, I don't want seats in the stadium. Let's, have, let's make it like a stand-up bar. What do you think? <laughs>
2: Does
3: that bring more people in? I'd love that. That would be know. awesome. It just might. That'd be awesome. You know, maybe start with one section with no seats, and that'll be called the party section, okay? And mm-hmm. it'll be surrounded by forty-seven cops. So.
0: go Country at McMahon. Yeah, there you go. There you go. But if you want to make the game more family-friendly, is that going to bring more That's families? That's not the or way or to that go. Scare the families away.
3: No, that'll That's scare me. the families. And and in reality, in my opinion. Where the next generation of fans comes from are gonna come from is the kids, to be honest with you. So I don't know. I don't know how to solve it.
0: I think you keep the parties it's, outside before the games and then during the game like yeah. you said, parties on the field.
3: I mean mm-hmm. the Stampeders the Stampeders have tailgating in their parking lot all the time. There's there's hundreds of tailgate parties at Stampeders games. I walk by it's all true. of those I'm going into the stadium, but you know. <clears throat> yep.
1: All right. I think well, teams we've got into.
4: The, sorry. Go on. I'll just add one more thing. I think teams could do a better job of uh, advertising just how much cheaper child and student tickets are than than adult tickets. Mhm. Uh, people often forget that the uh, they can bring their children to a <laughs> CFL football game. For very little money for the ticket price.
1: Yeah. And yeah, the student ticket price here is ten dollars.
4: Yeah.
3: yeah, it was uh, it was family day this weekend at the Stamps game, and uh, there was a lot of kids there. So, yep. you know, and I guess That's maybe good. it's an opportunity for people to bring bring their kids because you know what, in Alberta, especially in Alberta right now, the economy sucks, and a lot of people aren't
1: spending money on that kind of stuff. So. Yep. Even in Saskatchewan, which is known for, um, you know, having you know the biggest crowds in the CFL, or at least I tell you that's the case. On the game the other night against Montreal, I looked up and you could see their upper deck, and it looked empty. It looked like it was maybe a quarter full. So uh, it's it's a it's a league wide problem, and as Mark said, it's a professional sports wide problem. I, I would say.
4: Well, and apparently I was way off on my uh, crop report I gave you guys last time, too. Uh, only 18% of the crop was in, and a lot of the farmers were home and and couldn't go to the game.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> All righty. Okay, so we've talked a lot, and thank you for your um, rundown. We're, gl- again, glad you had a good time here in B.C., and uh, like I said, come back soon, so... We're going to go into our uh, game reviews. Now, Jamie, if you want, you can certainly stay in and add your input. Um, I don't know what your plans are for the rest of the night because we're going to go into our game reviews and review the games that were played this week. Uh, I don't know if you saw any of the other games that were played this week, but you're welcome to stay on the line and stick with us uh, as long as you like tonight, so...
0: I unfortunately didn't see any of the other games. I was too busy okay. uh exploring your beautiful city there. So I will let you guys go, but I will definitely uh listen to the rest of the show and hear your guys' thoughts on the games.
1: All right. Well we're glad that you came on and any time if you want to come on any other time, just let us know. You're welcome to come on any time.
0: Thanks for having me on guys, my pleasure, and thanks for having me in Vancouver and I will definitely be back there soon to have another game.
1: Yeah, have a good one, Alright. Yeah, have a good <laughs>
0: All right, take care, guys.
1: I was going to say, we should just keep going back and forth like this. This is getting interesting. Yep, all right. Well, thank you, Jamie, for coming on. So, uh, yeah, it was interesting. It was actually even a very nice guy. It was good to meet him, and it's good to meet uh, an out-of-town Lions fan that got to come in and, uh, you know, see the team play at home. It's a nice uh, thing there. I've only, I've only been to two well, – I've been to BC Place, obviously, and the only other two stadiums I've been to were uh, McMahon and I've been to uh, Commonwealth, so I want to try and get to more stadiums, too, so. Yep. All right, so now that Jamie has left us for the night, I think we will move on into our normal game reviews a little bit later than normal, but I wanted to, that was good to hear his story, so. Let's press on and review the week that was. Talk CFL.
2: All
1: right, game one was, uh, of course, Friday night. We were just referencing it on. Uh, that's the game, Jamie. With that, it was the Ottawa Red Blacks here in Vancouver to play the BC Lions. The Who's Worth Bowl, or as some idiots were calling it, the Toilet Bowl. So the heck with them. Uh, but Ottawa and BC was Friday night here uh, at BC Place. And it was the Lions kind of laying a beat down. Not kind of laying a beat down. Totally laying a beat down on the Ottawa Red Blacks. They beat them 29-5. to So two interesting things happened in this uh, game. The BC Lions defense did not give up a touchdown. And the BC Lions offense did not give up a sack. So very encouraging, especially considering what we saw earlier in the week. Now, yes, they were not playing great competition. I know that. But, hey, uh, a win is a win is a win, and the Lions have not been celebrating it uh, very much this year. In fact, only one other one, that weird one in Toronto. But they get the win big here on Friday night. Mark, uh, what did you think of this game? What What were your thoughts?
2: It was entertaining. Like I said, I was entertained all weekend, and a lot of people said, well, the football wasn't that great. And was this a great game? No, by no means was it. It was over as soon as it went to 7 nothing. You could see it was over. Yeah. Uh, BC didn't give up a single sack. It's been a while since anybody has said that. It, is Ottawa that bad? Was BC that good? I don't know. But it was a full beatdown. It was nice to see that Riley can still go when he gets time. I think he has shown this year that he needs more time. But uh, he got the time and he shredded Ottawa. It was really watching pitch and catch. It was nice to see Carter get involved. He looked invested in the game, and he kept his mouth shut. I don't know if you guys noticed, but every time the camera panned to him, he avoided it. He would barely even look at it. And we all know how much he loves a camera. So it was good to see he just played football. Did, uh, he finally got himself a touchdown. Uh, Burnham was great again it was nice to see BC using a running game that was a a novelty for a while this year and they kept on going through as BC was mounting the lead up in the first half but what changes are they going to make in the second half now are they going away from the run because that's what they've shown and finally Jackson stayed with it there was no reason to pass um, and Ottawa well we've called Toronto and Montreal tire fires and earthquakes and this is Chernobyl is the way it's going right now yeah they've, they were decimated in free agency they've got a lot of injuries right now y- you don't have a quarterback and these are the quarterbacks you've had from the start why isn't Arndt playing? I don't get it. He can't be any worse. He's young. Who knows? Maybe it would be lightning in a bottle, and you'll find another good young quarterback. But no, they keep going with Jennings, and then Davis, and then Jennings, and ugh, we've seen they're not court, they're not starting quarterbacks now. They're just not. So no, this was an epic beatdown. It was fun to watch because I know. Let's face it, Bomber fans know how BC Lion fans feel right now. We've been there many times, so it was good to see them get a second win.
1: Go ahead. Yep. Well, what were your thoughts on this game?
3: Well, it was a beatdown. There's no doubt about it. Here's a thought: maybe, maybe in the CFL next year, maybe you'll have. Uh, Jason Moss is the new head coach in Ottawa and, and what's his name is the new head coach in Edmonton. Wouldn't that be funny? So, um,
1: no, you know what?
3: Yes. Campbell. Sorry. No, um, that'd be interesting. Let's just swap loser for loser. You know what? And I've said this a thousand times. The CFL is the quarterback driven league. If you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a chance. And Ottawa proved that on Friday night. I mean, the big difference in that game was, and I I did expect that Mike Riley still had it because you don't lose that kind of stuff from one season to another. He just, he's just been running for his life all year long. And uh, when he had the opportunity, he played well and BC played well, but Ottawa is not very good and they do not have a quarterback. And when you go into the league without a quarterback, you're gonna be in trouble. And that's that's it in its simplest form. I mean I we expected B C to win even though I did pick Ottawa, but we expected B C to win and they did it. And you know, and if that keeps a few more friends in the building, I'm happy about that. So you know, I mean I still I still think BC has great personnel. They've just got to do a few things to adjust. And once again, one of the things I've heard on talk shows this week about BC is uh, why did they go with such a young coaching staff this year, other than Rich Stubler? Everybody else there is rookies and Jarius Jackson, but I don't think too much Jarius Jackson. But, hey, they got their second win, and they actually won this game. And that's exciting for B C fans. You know, you gotta you gotta you gotta take the positives in a in a long, long, terrible season. So and that's a positive.
1: Go ahead. Phil, your thoughts on this one? Well, Charles, I I paid a lot more attention to B C
4: in a losing season this year because I consider yourself and Christopher uh, my friends, and I worry about my friends. And uh, I would like to say, or ask, can we call this the Kelly Bates win? Uh, it it warmed my heart to see the smiles on the sidelines, you know, after the after the third Lions touchdown, uh, just before the half. And it was great to see the amongst the excitement amongst the big boys there uh, on the sideline, especially the kind of year they've had. And with Kelly Bates being brought in to be the offensive line coach, it, it was clearly more than a cosmetic change in BC. I, I, it has really made a difference. And I think after that second game, we can all agree that it, it was the difference in, in BC's fortunes. And, and if there is no line that appears to be in trouble now, it's, it's the Ottawa Red Blacks. Um, in 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 my opinion,
1: and I, I think Mark, yeah, you know, go ahead. Well, I was just going to yeah. point out that they gave up four sacks on Friday. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and they didn't look good. nothing. No, they didn't. No.
4: I think Mark nailed his analysis of Burnham and Carter. That was really well put, Mark. Uh, you know uh, that touchdown pass that Carter caught that. Not many receivers in this league would have caught that ball. Uh, he was about to take a, get his knees taken out in front of him when he caught that pass. And he had to contort his body. He had to basically stop and contort his body. And there's, there's, there's not very many receivers with the physical skills to be able to do that, like Duron Carter did. And I agree with Mark that that uh, that Duran's demeanor on the sideline has, has really changed. And... Uh, He's there to play football right now. When he got serious in Saskatchewan, that's when he had his big games. And when he was in the media all the time and on TV all the time, that's when he struggled. Um, As far as uh, something else I'd like to point out is I thought the the Lions secondary is starting to look better too. And somebody that really stands out to me is uh, cornerback Gary Peters. Uh, He he just kind of stood out to me week after week over the last month or two, especially. Um, speaking of corners, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Mark raised my eyebrows when he, when he said uh, former bomber corner Chris Randall in, in Ottawa is no longer a competent corner in the CFL. And I've been watching him close since then, and and i got to say I 100% agree. He got burned pretty bad by by the Lions there on Friday night. I think that's I think that's really all I got for comments. Oh, although, oh, I do want to mention that, in in the defense of the Ottawa Redblacks, they went in this game with 16 players on the six-game list. And when you're a team with the weakest roster on paper, in in my opinion, going into the season, and then you end up with that many players on the six-game, at any point in the season, this doesn't leave them with much, much left to work with. So, I I can't put all the blame on Rick Campbell. I I think they you know they've had some some unfortunate luck as well so but will could be right about it. that that could be the most interesting off season coaching thing to happen is we could basically see a trade of head coaches between Ottawa and, and Edmonton with Rick Campbell returning to his father's uh, lair in, in Edmonton and uh, and Jason Moss returning where he was once the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach in uh, In Ottawa, I would not be surprised. See it. Yep. That's all I got.
1: It was just so nice to actually go to a game and actually see a win because we it was their first win at home this week this year. Their only win previously was in Toronto, so we didn't get to see it live. But this was not only a win. What a blowout win. It felt good as a Lions fan to finally see that. Uh, As I commented on Friday night, seeing Deron Carter catch a touchdown pass, that was like a sign of the apocalypse because he had been so um, ineffective, really, up until then. But the catch was a great catch. He over the shoulder, and he got cranked. As he caught it, too, he got hit hard, but he was able to hang on to the ball. So, And the funny thing is, I don't know, they probably didn't show this on TV, but the happiest guy in the building when Duron Carter caught the ball for the touchdown was Nick Lewis. He came running down the sidelines. I didn't know Nick Lewis could still run, but he came running down the sidelines to give Duron a big hug. Uh, He was just jumping up and down on that one. Um, So the previous two games before Kelly Bates took over as offensive line coach, the Lions gave up 14 sacks. In the two games since then, they've given up two sacks. Uh, I didn't, uh, when they fired Brian Chu, um, you know, people were saying it's a scapegoat move, they're just trying to look, to um, actually um, you know, find someone to blame uh, maybe there is some merit to that blame, because it looked like a completely off, different offensive line in two games and the defense continued to improve, I thought the defense of the Lions had actually looked uh, better uh, the last three weeks really and a big portion of that credit I'm going to give to Sean Lemon because since he uh, returned he rejuvenated Odell Willis Uh, they must be close friends because Odell Willis has looked like a different uh, team or a different player and they've looked like a different defense they've been a, um, a much stronger defense and hey no touchdowns allowed so, I mean, yes, they weren't playing a great team. I get that. But, hey, it wasn't mattering earlier this season who they were playing. They couldn't tackle. They couldn't do this. They couldn't do that. A massive improvement. Probably too late to salvage this year. But if they can start getting a little bit of momentum down the schedule and then we'll see what we do in the off season, maybe they can build some momentum looking towards next year. As for the Ottawa Red Blacks, ay ay what a disaster. Jonathan Jennings finishes with 239 yards passing in this game. Do not oh. let that mislead you. I looked up because they keep a, a, a tracker of the passing yards in the stadium during the game. With eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, Jonathan Jennings had 90 yards passing. He hit a couple of longer passes in garbage time which beefed up his passing numbers, but he got he couldn't get anything done through the year. I, I think he had 45 yards passing at the half or something like that. Uh, he's not getting it done. He's not a starter in this league. I'm sorry, he's not. Dominic Davis isn't either. They need a new quarterback there badly. Uh, this was a team that just, uh, they looked like the Keystone Cops half the night. They catch a break when Jonathan Jennings throws an interception that gets returned for a touchdown, but they catch a break when the Lions, because the Lions jumped offside two plays later. Jennings throws another interception. This one did not get called back on a penalty. They pull off a successful fake punt for a big game, but they were lined off lined up improperly. And the guy that caught the ball was ruled ineligible. So, They couldn't get anything right, and this team is not going anywhere. I really have a tough time seeing this team win another game. I mean, this team is a train wreck wrapped in a plane crash on a sinking ship that's on fire. That's how bad this is right now. Uh, It's going to be a long rest of the season in Ottawa, and I think you're going to see a whole bunch boatload of changes next year I mean there was big changes the year before, uh, last year because they got raided by other teams who took most of their top talent but they're going to have to be the ones looking for talent in the offseason this year because they're really a, uh, a poor football team I've been seeing people posting their power rankings left and right this, today Ottawa's at the bottom of everyone, and with good reason all right, so the final score in on this one was 29 to five for the Ottawa for the uh, BC Lions. Sorry, so hey, can, can I, I add in? something,
3: Charles? Yes, Charles, can I add something? Um, your your comment about uh, about Brian Chu and and not being a scapegoat. My question to you guys is this: If Brian Chu wasn't that good of an offensive line coach, why didn't they pull the trigger on this move earlier? It could have saved their That's whole season.
1: That's a good question. That's a very fair question. I asked myself the same thing. I don't know. Maybe there's a bit you know, too I, much loyalty there, but
3: I don't know uh, what it was. I would I would think they would have known four games into the season that he didn't know what he was doing. Yep. You know, because it looks like Kelly Bates does know. Well, Kelly Bates does know what he's doing, so you know, so mm.
1: Yeah, should it should have been, been done earlier. A lot of people were saying it should have been done earlier. Um, I don't know if they wanted to just stick with uh, Brian Chu, let him see if he could work his way out of it, but I mean, you can't really argue that uh, since the change has been made, they look like a different offensive line. It looks like they brought in all new players that know how to play because they're actually protecting the quarterback. So whatever Kelly Bale has done, or Kelly Bates has done. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Yeah, there's a little difference there, but whatever Kelly Bates has done uh seems to be working. So uh yeah, so it's an interesting to see now of course, let's face it, the last two weeks they haven't had the goal. well, Montreal's an up and coming team although they're they're still not spectacular and Ottawa's a train wreck, so well we're not gonna see any better because the Lions play Ottawa again next week. Yay, I might be able to celebrate again. But uh we'll see what happens when they play uh some stronger teams and see if that offensive line protection continues against some of the stronger defenses. All right, so the score was twenty nine five BC um, so I had a score of thirty one to fourteen, but that was actually not bad. It was nine points out. uh excuse me, eleven points out, but unfortunately, I did not win. 11 points was too far away. No! Uh, also, um, where were we here? I lost my page. Okay, uh, Will, you had 38-25 to 25 for Ottawa. Let me say that one more time. Will, you had 38-25 to 25 Ottawa. I guess I think should be thanking you right now, Will, because you didn't no, pick the No, and Lions. it was
3: you know, you know, because you know Phil did say he looks after his friends, and I was looking after you and you and you and uh, mm-hmm. Christopher. So, because every time I pick BC, they lose.
4: Well, well, well.
1: I, I appreciate that, but you know what? I I think they could have played twelve quarters, and Ottawa still wouldn't have hit thirty-eight points. So you picked Ottawa to win. You lost on that one. Phil, your score wasn't terrible. You had a uh, 28 to 16 for the Lions, uh, but that was out by 16 points. So unfortunately, you don't win the game either. No. C.J. was also pretty close. He had 21 to nine for the Lions, but that's 12 points. But that still doesn't win either. No. But with the win again, he won all four last week and he hits the winning circle again is Mark twenty eight to eleven.
0: <laughs>
1: Mark twenty eight to eleven. That's seven points. So Mark gets the victory.
2: Five in a row.
1: Five in a row. Why do I think he's not going to stop? Okay. So that was the game on Friday night. So Saturday, we had a doubleheader. The first game was the Hamilton Tiger Cats at McMahon Stadium to play the Calgary Stampeders. A very close, hard-fought defensive battle, or at least the score indicates that. But it was the hometown Stampeders just squeaking out a win. Hamilton just can't win in Calgary. I don't know what it is, but I think they've lost like nine straight there now or something like that, and it looked like they had a shot at this one, but uh, Calgary snatches victory from the jaws of defeat. To be fair, Hamilton could have ran away with this one in the first half, but they couldn't finish, and they let Calgary stick around, and that ends up costing them and Calgary actually outscores Hamilton 13 to 1 in the second half and gets the victory uh with an exciting play at the uh on the final play of the game um Hamilton lining up for the winning field goal and Trey Robertson jumped about 8 feet in the air or maybe not 8 feet but he jumped way higher than I can jump and blocked the field goal to preserve the victory for the Stampeders. I'm going to start with Will on this one, because he was at the game at McMahon. Will, what did you think of this one? It was a close nail-biter, but Calgary pulls out the win.
3: Well, let me start off by saying this is the fall, or supposedly it's the fall. There's another week of summer. The last two games in Calgary, the Labor Day game and this game, have been the hottest two games of the year. The Labor Day game... Because it was cloudy and raining out that day, I didn't bring my sunscreen with me, and I got fried beyond fried because I sit on the east side of the stadium and the sun just beats down, and it was the same on Saturday. It was hot, that's all I can say, but I did bring my sunscreen on Saturday, so I was okay. Um, You know what? Hamilton seems to do this whenever they come to Calgary with the exception of 3 years ago when they lost 60 to 2 or something like that 60 to 3 they just
1: 60 to 1
3: yeah something like that so i remember i was sitting there with Chris Lutella at that game so oh, yeah. um but i you know you cannot regardless of how many players Calgary has lost this year and so on and so forth you cannot give them opportunities. And they had so many opportunities in this game. You know, Bo Levi Mitchell can play crappy the entire game. You give him one opportunity and he's going to take advantage of it every single time. And I mean, it took him long enough to score a touchdown, but they eventually did. And that made the whole game. Um, and it's funny the the Trey, Trey Roberson block on uh on uh, Hamilton, he did jump like four feet in the air. But they were saying afterwards that that is the book they have on on uh, Hiram Lafahoula, who or whatever the heck his name is.
1: Um, they, or say, whatever.
3: they say when he kicks field goals, he's got a very low trajectory from behind the offensive line. And uh, they that was in their book, and they thought they'd try it, and, and it worked. And uh, Trey Roberson was saying that if the defensive line didn't get a good push, that play never works. And I guess the defensive line got a good push, and he managed to step up and jump sixty-three into the sixty-three feet into the air and, and block it with his elbow of all things. Which, you know, I mean. But bottom line, that game, I was sitting there watching it, and it's the difference between having a Bo Levi and not having a Bo Levi. If Hamilton had a scored that field goal, there would have been like 52 seconds left on the, on the clock. And I had no doubt in my mind that Bo Levi Mitchell was going to drive him down the field and at least kick a field goal. So, and that's the difference between him and Arbuckle. Cause I didn't have that feeling with Arbuckle at all. You know what? The stems defense second half stems defense played good. Um, I was a little concerned because they seem to be giving up the middle part of the field a lot. And you know, when you listen to guys on the radio afterwards, good reason. You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna bump and run Brandon Brandon Banks because if he gets past you, the game's over, okay? Because he's going all the way every single time. And uh, the other point I was gonna make. <sighs> The interesting thing is the Stamps defense did that without uh, Corey Greenwood because he had that monster hit in the first quarter, and he never came back after that. And I I think he separated his shoulder or at least dislocated it. And if that's the case, as far as middle linebacker goes, the Stamps are in big trouble because they do not have a – Practice roster linebacker. Um, one of the depth guys they were going to use this year is on the sixth game. And I would not be surprised if you see the Peters shopping around this week for middle linebacker with experience, if Greenwood is out for any amount of time. I haven't heard if he's going to be out that long, but uh, it could be scary for that defense because middle linebacker is an experienced position. You need an experienced guy. And Alex Singleton is making more money than God right now. So he's not coming back. So there was uh there was a, one of the names that came out yesterday was maybe the Peter should make a trade with the lions to get Malik Harris back here. Cause he was, he was back up middle linebacker in Calgary last year. So, but who knows? Go ahead.
1: Mark, what did you think of this one with the Stampeders edging out Hamilton?
2: You know, if you just look at the stats, you don't look at the score. There was like, well, right around 800, 900 yards of offense. It looks like a back-and-forth barn burner, and you look at the score and go, wow, it's all field goals. Realistically, Hamilton lost this game in the first quarter when they kept self-destructing. They'd have these great drives right down the field and then get a fumble. Get the ball again, drive it right down the field, interception. Kick a field goal. If they get those extra points in that first quarter, it's a completely different football game. And Will is 100% right in that Bo Levi Mitchell just decided at one point, yep, it's going in. And he pushed it down down their throats, really, and got the touchdown when they needed it. And the more I watch this Roberson, he really is (laughs) something. I'm Wondering how much longer we're going to see him in the CFL before he goes down and gives it a shot in the NFL to get the money. Because he's got the size, and he's got the ability. So you know he's going to give it a shot at some point. And it's not like Hamilton's defense was really bad, even on the touchdown drive. They played really well. Simone Lawrence was a one-man wrecking crew for a lot of that game. It was a little chippy, uh, They don't play each other enough to get a real hate on for each other, but it was a little chippy. But the thing I'm enjoying watching with Mitchell right now is there's really none of the cockiness. He's just playing football. He does the the fist bump still, but it's a fist bump. Who cares? He's really just playing football now, and he looks dialed in which is just going to make the rest of the season that much more fun, especially with the back-to-backs coming up with Winnipeg. I can't wait. But for, for this game, no, it's, either team would have been full marks for the victory. Calgary made the drive when they needed to to get the touchdown. And then Mary Heibach jumped down and lifted Roberson on his shoulders, and they got the block. You know, was it a fabulous football game? Not overly. There were so many mistakes on both sides. But it was still entertaining with all the offense that was in the game. So, yeah, no, Calgary is full marks of the victory. That's it. Go ahead.
1: Mark, your turn to go on this game. I I just did. Sorry, sorry, Phil, not Mark. Mark's already gone. Phil, your turn.
4: A, to be fair, you know, Hamilton's not the only team who seems to have trouble winning in Calgary. There's a few teams, even the green and white, in the regular season. And I guess this was a good game if you like watching field goal team. Um, but I, I thought the, the difference was the two turnovers late in the third quarter uh, one where the quarterback fumbled and, and one where the running back fumbled for Hamilton. I, I think that they would have had the momentum and, and would have, it, they were both on the uh, Calgary side of the field and uh, were probably going to lead to scoring drives. And Every time I look at a Stampeders highlight package this season, it seems like uh, Stamps DBs, Trey Roberson and Brandon Smith, are making plays. Every time. And I agree with Mark. Trey Roberson will get his NFL shot. Uh, I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen that dominant defensive back in the CFL. And the the one I can think of that was that dominant was Brandon Browner, who ended up going to Seattle and winning a Super Bowl. So uh, I feel fortunate to have kind of met him, but not really. (laughs) But uh, at least he turned around when I said his name, <laughs> and he looked at me. Uh, and, and I also agree with Mark. Now he's in on jail. How... Brandon Browner? No, he. Uh, I think he's dead.
1: No, Brandon he Browner jail is not dead.
4: No, he's in jail. He just. He's just in jail. Okay, I thought he. I thought he died in jail. Um, but he is in jail. Yeah. And. Uh, but I also agree with Mark on how dialed in Bo Levi Mitchell looks right now. He is—he uh, really does look like he is in control, and I, I agree that drive. It, we, he just decided they were going to score on that drive. And uh, a, a little bit about Dane Evans. Uh, something I heard the other day is uh, they said if if you can find it on YouTube, watch Oklahoma versus Tulsa, uh, Baker Mayfield versus Dane Evans, and I guess it was just a night of. Aerial football like you wouldn't believe. And they both look fantastic. And I've got to fight it and, and make sure I watch it. Yeah, that's all i got about that game.
1: Are the Stamps the best team in the CFL right now? I'm not going to go that far and say it, but they are looking like one of the most dangerous. Now, I know they they only won this game by a point. But to the point that Will made, when they got the ball, uh, or excuse me, with Hamilton setting up for the uh, field goal, I looked down at the clock, and there was still nearly a minute left. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself that even if Hamilton makes this, it's too early because they're going to give the ball back to Boley by Mitchell, who's been dialed in since he came back, like Phil just brought up and Mark. Um So I think that even if Hamilton hadn't made that field goal, I think Calgary still would have won that game. They would have got down and got a winning field goal. Something would have happened. And they are starting to peak. Um, I thought their defense was really good in this one, holding uh, Hamilton to just 18 points. I thought actually, to be perfectly fair, I thought both defenses played very well in this game. Uh, it was definitely defensive football. But the uh, Calgary defense gave up one point less than the Hamilton defense. And that was the difference. A one-point game, uh, not a lot of touchdowns in this one. I think just one for each team, I believe. The rest were field yep. goals. Renee Paredes is four for five, and Haralahu was three for five. And one of the missed ones was that block kick at the end. That sealed their fate. So, uh, was it the most entertaining game? No, but it had a great finish. And the Calgary Stampeders pulled it out. 1918 for the Stampeders. Anyone else with anything on this game? I guess that's a no. So looking at the scores right now, uh, I actually had the Hamilton score bang on. I had 18 points. Unfortunately, I thought Calgary was going to score 35. So I was out by 16 points. That's not a loss. That's not a good win. Um, Will, you had 27-14. That's not too bad. You were uh, somewhat close, only out 12 points, but not good enough to win. CJ had Hamilton winning 21-20. Now, that's not a bad score because the scores were actually relatively close. Had he had it the other way, he probably would have won, but he didn't. He had uh, Hamilton, so he loses. Phil, you had Calgary winning 26-22. That's a difference of 11 points. And so you were close, but no cigar. And, (sighs) The winner again was Mark, eight points out, 27. He also, like me, picked the uh, Hamilton score bang on with 18 points. But because he got 27, he beat me because I said 35. So he was only out by eight. And guess what? He won again. That's six in a row. That's six. Jeez. We'll update the standings here because Mark's starting to pull. Well, uh, well, at the end, we'll do the next game, and then we'll update it. But Mark's starting to pull away. All right, so that was game number two in the first game of the Saturday doubleheader, and then we went right from there into the Saturday night double uh, the second game, the nightcap, if you will, with the Montreal Alouettes in Saskatchewan. This was a fantastic game to watch. It really was. Um, It was back and forth all night. I thought there was great performances on both sides of the ball. But in the end, it was the Saskatchewan Rough Riders eking out a 27-25 victory with a last-second field goal, uh, 27-25. Huh. How about that? And the Riders win again. They get back into the winning column after losing last week to the Bombers. I think I'll start with Phil because he's the resident Rough Rider fan. How did you, what did you think of this game uh, with your team uh, on Saturday night?
4: Well, I, I uh, made pages of notes about this game because I was quite excited about it. And I have to admit there wasn't enough beer in Calgary to celebrate this event after. That game, and uh, so my notes it, as as they started, they were really sharp, and then as I go through them later on, they get kind of off kilter. And uh, but uh, I do want to say that uh, the last the, the last game that the Riders used a few shovels to stay away from the best secondary in the league sorry that was one of my later notes
2: <laughs> that's
4: one i don't understand but uh i don't know it uh as a rider fan it was good to bounce back from that banjo bowl and it, it was good to see them do it in the same fashion that they they won the labor day game to uh, to be able to win on a game-winning drive i'm i'm Starting to gain more and more confidence in Cody Fajardo, uh, I was I was a little worried about how cranked up he was after the game. But you know, it's uh, I hope he can control his emotions. And uh, you might find it strange for me to say that uh, about Cody Fajardo, but uh, I think that he's getting pretty comfortable. And if you watch his post game interview. And the length of it, it, it's concerning. Uh, I would, I would like him to be more, uh, more like I've been here and done it before, a little bit more like uh, like Bolio and Mitchell or uh, or your quarterback out in BC, honestly, Mike Riley. Um, Yep. But uh, no, I I think it was. It, w- it was the most entertaining game of the week of the weekend. And it was maybe one of the, the top four most entertaining games of the season, in my opinion. And, uh, but, uh, I don't want to say much about it because I'm a writer fan and, uh, the, the multiple pages of notes I made on this game, I would sooner listen to you guys. I think you, because you come from a different perspective than me. I think, uh, that your analysis will be way more bang on than my own.
1: Mark, what did you think of this one? It entertaining. It was a lot
2: of fun to watch. There's only been two or three games like this this season where it's just back and forth and the leads changing. Somebody gets a little bit of a stretch lead and it gets caught up. It was one of the. It was a fun game. It's, this is the CFL, and like Will says, obviously, it's after September long weekend because you look at the three games. Yeah, the BC game was a blowout, but both teams are not making. Well, Ottawa still has a chance to make the playoffs, I guess. But you're looking at playoff teams now matching up and just going toe-to-toe, and the scores are reflecting it being close. Fajardo, he was fired up. He had a great game. He was, it almost looked like he won a playoff game, the way he was reacting. Phil, the guy the riders need to worry about with his jacked up and everything else and is Nick Marshall. Somebody's going to destroy him. He is just, he makes a tackle, and he's acting like, never mind winning a Grey Cup, he's acting like he just won the Super Bowl. And he's chirping, and somebody's going to take him out. He is going to mm-hmm. get it. He's just being a goof. Yeah, they're playing good, but my God. Like, we talk about quarterbacks playing like you've been there and done that. Ooh, you defended a pass where it was four yards over a guy's head, and now you're doing a dance. Okay. But it was entertaining. It really was. Um, Fiardo looked good. Powell finally... They gave him the football a lot more. I know they mentioned it on the broadcast that because they run the run-pass option, the ball gets pulled away from him a lot. Powell can carry them a long way just by himself. They need to use him more. Um, they did this week, and they came out with the win. They were able to keep the time of possession, and, and Montreal looked good. There was nothing wrong with the way they played offensively or defensively. Mwamba, again, was a factor all game. He's having a great season. Mm -hmm. And it's so good to see Bowman, who you know every part of his body has got to be aching right now. He's already said that he's done. This is it. But he's still a factor. So to watch these guys running around and... The kid that's in for Loeffler, I can't remember his name. I don't think you'll see Loeffler back in Montreal. It Montreal has built themselves a good little team, I'm enjoying them. LaCombo. Bola Combo. Bola Combo, the, it, Bo Combo yeah. yeah. Um wasn't that another B C Lion, Charles?
1: Bola Combo, yes.
2: Yes. Being Canadian and the way he was playing, he fired up some big hits again. So it's good to watch. This game was fun. I love this time of the season.
1: That's it. All right, Will, what did you think of the, um, I, I don't know how much you saw of the, um, the Montreal-Saskatchewan well, I... game heading home. I saw the whole thing. It takes me 10 minutes to get home, so it's not a big deal. Well, right, you mentioned and that do have a,
3: and I and I do have a PVR, and I and I was very interested okay. in the game, so it's not very often I watch the sketch Fun because they make me puke in my mouth. But um, you know what? I I I think the biggest difference in that, and and by the way, it was it was a really good game to watch because it was back and forth. But I think uh, I think. Saskatchewan's a little more experienced than Montreal is because Montreal has a relatively well, they're relatively new to winning, number one, okay, and they got new coaching staff, and I guess the biggest difference in this game is the fourth quarter when, I mean Saskatchewan outscored them seventeen to seven, and uh, I don't know if if their defense got a little run down, I mean. I mean Saskatchewan. One of the things I've always been saying about Saskatchewan is they have to use William Powell more, and they seem to use him more in this game. And he had almost 100 yards rushing, and Fajardo had I think 30 or 29 yards rushing. And you know, football football is basic. You know what? The run sets up the pass, and guys still have to run more. And I don't know why it doesn't happen. But no, it was an excellent game to watch. Either team could have won this game, and uh, you know it was a it was a pick'em game as to who was going to win, because Saskatchewan is a good football town, despite her football game football team, despite despite me having to I hate to say that, but, um, and on top of that, I mean Saskatchewan did it without uh, Charleston Hughes. I do believe I don't think he played yesterday. I think he's a little knit or banged up or something, and uh, you know, I mean, it was just a good game. And hey, Saskatchewan won. More power to them. And they're staying right in the race with with Calgary and Winnipeg. And and it's this this west this west is gonna go down to the last. I'm telling you, it's it's so tight right now. It's not funny and uh i still believe in order for calgary to get first place they got to run the board i'm um, i'm still saying that and uh i mean they uh they have a short week this week so we'll see what happens cuz if you lose one game in the west right now you're 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 screwed you're not going to you're not going to be where you want to be so you know anyways go ahead
1: Well, it was a real back and forth game uh, all night. I, I honestly thought once Montreal went ahead, uh, the last time that they were actually going to hold the lead. But uh, give credit to Cody Fajardo, he was able to get that team down the field and into uh, field goal position to get the victory. So it was a, uh, um, you know, after he had had Fajardo last week had had really one of his worst games of the year. In the banjo bowl, he just couldn't get anything going at all. So it was actually nice to see him bounce back with a really good performance. Even though Montreal lost this game, they still impressed me because they hung in there. Uh, I think it's safe to say that this team is um, dug itself out of the doldrums they were in for the last couple of years with uh, all the circus going on with um, you know what's his name uh, Mike Sherman or. Whatever Mike Sherman, the other idiot, Kavis Reed, who they finally uh, got rid of, and et cetera, et cetera. They've really actually put together a very good football team that actually can compete with top teams now. They're not just beating bottom feeders. They're actually playing these guys who are fighting for first place and beating them. They beat Calgary. They lost a close one to Saskatchewan. So they're able to... um, uh, stay up and hang with these teams. They're not getting blown out like we've seen them in the past, so uh, kudos to Kari Jones. I think we'll discuss him a little bit later. Well, if we have time, this one's going by quickly because we had the uh, early segment with Jamie, but we'll see how it goes uh, right now. But, uh, yeah, a very good win for the um, uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and they kind of get back in pace They're still trying to chase down the uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers uh, for first place, so they're now back within two points, although I believe the Bombers have at least one game in hand on them, so that's uh, still to be decided. But a good win for the Riders, an entertaining game. If you didn't care who won, this game was super entertaining, back and forth. Like um, Phil said, I thought this was definitely one of the better games of the year, so it was enjoyable. And I'm not a huge Ryder fan, but hey, they got the win. Give them credit. They're uh, they're hanging in there. They got some resilience. So good for the uh, riders there. So the final in this one was uh, 27-25 for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, So let's go to the score. Will you had uh, Montreal winning 21-19. So you lost there. Phil Or sorry, I'll go to CJ next. CJ has Montreal winning 28 to 18. That was a loss. Phil You were really close. You had Saskatchewan 25, Montreal 22, a difference of 5 points. But you didn't you weren't able to get the W on this one. And then there's Mark. Well, no fucking sorry, way. Mark, you didn't win this one this... Sorry, Mark. You didn't win this one this time because you uh, picked Saskatchewan to win. Uh, and with the win here is yours truly. Finally getting back into the win column this week. I had a score of Saskatchewan 28, Montreal 24, I was one off on both teams for a difference of two points. So I collect a victory today, and so I prevent Mark from getting the clean sweep, which was nice, even though he, I finally broke his streak of six straight wins. So, Good job, Charles. But I got some work to do. We all got some work to do if we're going to catch Mark in the standings, so Let's check the updated standings for the game picks. Mark leads the way after that six-in-a-row run. He's up to 16. Phil, you're a couple behind him. You're up to 14. With my one win, I'm now into double digits at 10. Will, you're at eight. So you're falling behind the pack, so you've got to get some wins. And then in the... um, in the, in the participation trophy um, category, we got CJ, who's sitting with just three victories this week. So, no!
4: um,
1: Yeah, so that's your updated standings for the, uh, for the um, game picks. Uh, so some interesting games this week. Only three this week. I guess it's because of these new bye rules that they instituted last week that each team has three bye weeks. But is there not a way that it can be spread around where we can still have four games every week? I thought they'd be able to, but maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. Did I hear some noise there? I don't know what that yeah, something
2: was. Something gurgled or something.
1: I don't know what that was. It wasn't me, but whichever. So, yeah, twenty-seven, twenty-five, and they, and that's our game picks for now. So, let's uh, – move on to my agenda we're actually out of the game picked and it's nine thirty. and it was only three games this week but that's okay if we don't get to everything hey there's always wednesday so yeah, let's go on to tonight now. pardon me yeah, that's of a shot at jamie go ahead oh uh, that's okay yeah all right so 2019 is increasingly showing the lack of parity between the two divisions, I mean we've talked about this for a few years on this show now uh how much pretty much the dominance or the upper echelon teams are in the west while the east really um, um the east really suffers um when it comes to um uh schedules and teams and stuff like that so But this year is particularly um, noticeable. You've really got four. um, The West is a meat grinder. You've got uh, the top four teams, BC's out of it. But when you look, you've got Edmonton, Saskatchewan, Winnipeg, Calgary. These guys are beating the living crap out of each other. And it's a meat grinder to try and win top spot in the West. While in the East, you've got Hamilton, and to a lesser extent, Montreal, who's up and coming. I I don't know if I would put them in the same category with Hamilton, but up and coming. And um, then you got Ottawa, and then you got Toronto, which are both Ottawa and Toronto, not exactly ready for prime time. At least Toronto is showing signs of uh, getting out of um at least they're showing signs of getting out of their funk. They've actually played better of late, as have B C. But Ottawa, they're just a, a nightmare. What um what was they gonna say? Uh what what can be done to kinda get the parity so we can at least have somewhat two strong divisions? Because it seems every year that the balance of power is out west. What do we need? What does the league, not us particularly, but what does the league need to do to get more parity so that you actually have two entertaining competitive divisions? Who wants to go first on this?
2: I'll take it. Okay. Real quick. I won't take too long on it because we are kind of running out of time already. Um, That's all right. I do have a bit of an issue with the article because John Hodge, you know, he writes some interesting articles at the best of times. But he is saying that this season there is more parody. If you read the article, it actually says he thinks that there's more parody. Because if you look at the overall number, I think it's 11, the East is 11 and 12 versus the West. Something like that. I can't remember the exact.
4: 11-14.
2: and 11-14, oh, there we go. Thank you. So, you know, that's actually not bad. One team has nine wins. Hamilton is eating up the West. They've only lost once against the West. Mm-hmm. And then Montreal has a 6-4 record against the West, I think it said. Or No, it's 6-4 overall. But they do have a close to winning record against the West. But then there's Ottawa and Toronto. Don't tell me there's parity. There's no parity. There's one team that's playing really well against the West. That's it. They're beating up on their lesser cousins in the East. That's not parity. You can't force them to – it's unfortunate that we can't force them into parity. You're only going to try to stay as good as you can with the opposition you have. And when you constantly have tire fires in the division, when was the last time there was a tire fire in the West Division? It's been a while. The crossover happens more than not. Hamilton's already cooled into a playoff spot, basically. I don't say see how they can be taken out of a playoff spot at this point at 9-3. I just don't see it.
1: Even if Montreal were to somehow catch them, they're not going to fall lower than second.
2: Yeah, no, they'll still get second. But like, the East, it's already over. Mm-hmm. There's the fight for the crossover now between Ottawa
4: and Edmonton.
0: I, I agree, Mark.
4: Go ahead. And, and we're – we're seeing it in the West in the West Division too. We we already know in the West Division it's going to come down to three teams. Edmonton is going to be the crossover team. And and yeah. this is too early. There's six games left in the season. And you, you know what I'm getting to. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think the, the league needs to suspend the East-West at least temporarily until there's a fifth team in the Eastern Conference. Because it's taking away from some of the excitement when when we know, especially for more hardcore fans, when we know this many weeks ahead, who is going to be playing in in the Western playoffs?
2: Yep, it's just a matter of where. And Edmonton can rate the ship. That's who knows?
1: Yeah, Edmonds that's true. Can write the ship. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if this bye week does happen. them any good. Yeah, yep.
2: well, anything can happen. It's the CFL.
1: Yep. Now here's my question Let's say they do get this thing sorted out And they do put a team in Halifax So you got five and five So you've got two five teams you got a ten team league At that point do you have to do away with the crossover rule? Yes Yeah uh, you, you have. can't have that When it's balanced conferences
2: Yeah no it has to be Unless right. it shows that it's the same After say three years You have to keep it that way mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I would think so. Will, you want to jump in on this? Well, I don't know how you can change
3: the crossover thing because, uh, you know, so does that mean a third-place Eastern team with a 2-18 and 18 record is still going to get into the playoffs? That's bullshit. So I still think you have to have the crossover. Same thing happens in you the know, NFL, though. Well, yep. but and and I think as long as the Stampeder's organization stays good, there'll be eventually be parity in the league because all the other teams keep on signing their players. How does that sound? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. You look around the league, and the sprinkles of of Stampeder players everywhere now, and it makes me want to puke. So, but yeah, I. I don't think they could ever suspend the the East-West thing because there'd be too many diehards that would be really upset about that. I, I think you'll leave it that way. I don't know what it is about the East. I don't know if the East just just has the mindset that they don't have to be good as the Western teams. Okay, and... I, I think that's part of the problem, but I don't know if that will ever change.
4: Well, I think that's so, why it needs to be temporarily su- suspended, because th- that is the problem, to measure success yeah, in the you're, East you're and never have a home playoff game.
3: I don't think you'll ever get a chance to suspend that. They just won't do it. Because I think the East-West thing has been here for so long, it's never going to change.
2: Besides the tradition, if you go just the straight one through nine, yep. Eastern crowds are going to be even worse than they are now. Gone. Yep, they're going to be. They gone. will be
4: gone. Right. Do, do you really think so, Mark?
2: Oh yeah. Look at the crowds now. Ottawa. That's a half-empty stadium. They still have a shot at the playoffs.
4: See, we went into this well, weekend uh, with the East 11 and 14, but we left this weekend with the East going 0 and 3. So now they're technically uh, um, 11 and 17. 11 and 17. And I agreed with the, the article going into the weekend, and when I read this article or, or another one similar, uh, I thought, gee, that's more parody than I thought there really was. I didn't realize the East had done that well. And then I looked at the schedule this week, and I thought East goes zero, oh and three, and sure enough, they did.
3: you know the other, the other thing is,, uh, you know, I would be open to maybe if you did cancel the east-west thing, maybe the eastern teams would would be forced to be better or be more competitive. You know what I mean?
4: Yes, and that's that's what I think, Will. That's that's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And right now, you look at free agency. How many high-impact, big-name, game-change free agents go west to east? There are free agents that do go. Moamba's gone. Taylor Loeffler. But a Mike Riley. A Trevor Harris. You a Garrett Davis. Yeah, you go through these names, where are they going?
4: The well, East has the to do to draw these guys in. Western yep. teams. But but look at the Montreal Alouettes. Look look at how many western western stars they were able to pull into their roster.
3: And that's, that's only because they're young guys and they want to live in Montreal because they've heard things about it.
2: Can't blame them. they've heard the right things about it. Yep. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah, I'm, I mean, I don't think Will's right. If you were to cancel the East-West thing, it's just going to piss off people because I know it's been brought up online before and it always turns into a giant argument online that, uh, it, that uh, you know, the purists are saying, no, it's always got to be East-West. Personally, I don't, mind, I don't mind the idea of making it uh, a one-team um, or a one-division uh, league where you just go feed them one through nine because, you know what, I don't like seeing teams with better records miss the playoffs um, with um, teams that are, have crappy records making. It's been done before. And I also don't like that even with the crossover, the thing that bugs me is that when you've got the crossover, there have still been times where you've had a team with a better record have to play on the road uh, against a team with a lower record, which I don't like. I've always thought – a lot of people disagree with me on this, but I always thought with the crossover, you should still give home field to the better team, the team with the better record. They earned it. Your your teams get punished by not having to um, – by not getting the home field, even though they, may, they had a better season and played better. But, I mean, it's not likely to happen um, – anytime soon, if at all. But hopefully, if they do get this nonsense in Halifax worked out, which, again, has gone quiet, uh, maybe they can um, get some more parity, They spread the teams out. A lot of the problem is, too, is that when you see the balance of power in the West and you get to free agency, if where's the free agent going to want to play more? You're going to play where... Where it, it means more, you're gonna want to play where there's more rivalry. You're gonna play where there's the better teams. That's in the West right now. Um, there's another way to think about, about it. about that.
4: There's another way to think about it, guys. This is the Canadian Football League, and mm-hmm. an East-West championship. It's like an East-West division. To draw a little bit of politics into this, not meaning to or on purpose, but. And uh, we have criticized our own country in the West and we've criticized it in the East for being a a very divisionalized country right now between West and East. And uh, why would the CFL perpetuate that? When the CFL stands up for things like uh, their their program there two years ago, uh, diversity is strength, why would the CFL want to perpetuate this East versus West concept and continue it? Uh, in in, in this environment that we have right now.
1: I I think that's kind of apples and oranges here. Basically, since the dawn of time, it's not so much rivalry, but I mean every sports, for the most part, every sports league is based on geography. I mean it's based more on geography. It saves uh, teams on travel and so on. I, I don't think it's Solely to do with rivalry, I think there are other, you know, things behind. I don't think that personally. I don't think that's a huge, huge issue. I don't think they're really um, pushing rivalry and, and inclusion and non-inclusion and stuff like that. It's all a geography thing, and it's more traditional than than not, where you have the eastern teams and the western teams, and then they play each other in the crossover. To me, I think the main reason for that is to try and keep um, interest nationwide so you have one team from the West and one team from the East. Because let me tell you, you get an Edmonton-Calgary Grey Cup or a Saskatchewan-Calgary Grey Cup, you're going to have lousy TV numbers in the East. They're not going to watch. The West is going to watch, but the East is going to go away, and that's what they're afraid of, and that's probably why they're never going to do a one-team league or a one-division league.
4: Good point, Charles. Yeah, television is
1: king, and uh, that's yeah. a very good point. And that's the other thing. TSN does not just want solely Western viewers for their games. They want they're in this for numbers nationwide, not just each, not just one one or another. And quite frankly, it will it will have an effect if you have um, uh, an all-West Grey Cup. Uh, a lot of people would hope that it wouldn't be the case, but it simply is. I mean. Toronto, where the CFL uh, already struggled for attention, if you've got Saskatchewan and Calgary in the Grey Cup, are you really going to get much attention from Toronto, period? You probably won't. You'll have the diehards, but for the most part, you're not going to get a lot of uh, newspaper space there because they're not, they're not going to be interested. They don't care. Yeah. Yeah, we beat this to up. death. Let's move on. Yeah, I think we probably should. So, because we're down to 14 minutes and we're on segment four. We're not going to get through this, but like I said, we can hold it over to, we can hold some of this stuff over till Wednesday without much problem. But uh, we'll just move on to the next segment. So, we'll go to segment five. Despite the loss this weekend, the Montreal Alouettes are really the surprise team of this season. So, how much do we think? Their um, turnaround can be attributed to Kahari Jones. You got to look at it. Kahari Jones just kind of got thrown into the fire because he didn't take over as head coach till after the preseason ended, which was weird in itself. And it took him a couple games to get his uh, sea legs under him, but he's actually got that team running pretty well right now. So, how much do we give? Um, credit to Kari Jones. Let's start with Will on this one.
3: I think uh, I think you give a lot of credit to Kari Jones. You finally you finally have a guy that, that uh, Vernon Adams will listen to. Because, and I think maybe I think maybe it's, uh, it's a quarterback thing. And you know it's funny because everybody always sees, you know, Kahari Jones happy-go-lucky and smiling, but everybody says that Kahari Jones has got a real competitive side to him, and he loves football, and and he's done well this year. There's no doubt about it, and I think. I, And I mean, and even Phil has mentioned a couple of times this year that at the beginning of the year, he thought uh, Montreal had a talented squad, and they do. They just needed the right coach, and it seems to be Kahari Jones. So we don't know what was going on in that dressing room before he got there because there seemed to be a lot of crap going on, and since they got rid of... uh, um what's his name? Hervey or er, sorry. Yeah, i got rid of Hervey. Or Cavis Reed, sorry. I get them two mixed both of them mixed up. Um and so I mean Montreal has been impressive this year, you have to admit it. Okay? They've actually been a pretty good team. So uh yeah, I think you give all the credit to Carrie Jones, to be honest with you.
1: Mark, what do you think? You kind of agree with what Will's saying?
2: Oh yeah, I have to agree with it. Um you know, we've all taken our pot shots at Kahari when he was in BC. Everybody on this podcast podcasts said the same thing. He's not good, he's the reason they're not good. Well I guess he's kind of proven everybody wrong. He's the quarterback coach, he's the receiver coach, he's the offensive coordinator. He's the head coach. He was given this job what two games into the season?
1: No, he was given the no. job before the season started. Well, that's right, before right before after the pre-season. season started. Yeah, right up. Yeah. So, so right
2: at the start of the season. Uh, oh, oh hey, Kahari, how's it going? We fired Cavis. Um, have fun with you're the, the head audience. coach now. You've <laughs> got everything. This is
3: you. Well, this is all on and maybe you, was, and he's done it. Maybe. It, Maybe it's also a case of some guys are good offensive coordinators and good defensive coordinators, but don't make head coaches. I guess the opposite could be said too, right? Some guys that are head coaches. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. I'm just going back to when Kahari was here and the kind of offense he ran as a quarterback. And... You do see flashes of the same style offense with him right now. It, it, he's making it fun to watch Montreal. He has flipped his team around 360 degrees. It, it's just awesome to watch. It, it, this is on him. He's taken a ton of pressure, and he's still smiling. You can, you can see the intensity in his eyes. But you can also see how excited he is for the players. And I think that's a lot about it. I don't know his coaching, how he is with the players, but he seems to be a players coach. Because they've really rallied around him as well. Offensively and defensively. So this is 100% on him. He's turned that team around. Go ahead.
4: No, the, only thing I want to add, Jones. the only thing I want to add is uh, I love that quote that I heard during the game uh, from Cajars Davis in Winnipeg. He said, uh, go deep early, make the defense think you're crazy. And uh, yeah. I, I love that. I love that, especially in the CFL. And that will help you establish a running game. Um, I, I forgot he was still also the offensive coordinator in, in Montreal. And that's phenomenal. And, and uh, like, like I've been pointing out all season, Montreal on paper has one of the best teams in the league. And let's not forget that Kavis Reed built that team. So we've got to get, give him a little bit of credit for the success of Montreal this season as well. And I think you know one of the reasons that Kavis Reed, or the biggest reason Kavis Reed was actually fired, had more to do with uh, documentation and the way he was building this team. And I do suspect that Montreal will be fined at the end of the season for uh, for roster salary violations uh, from from the Cavus-Reed re- regime. Uh, that's to be expected, but uh, and that's a big part of their success as well. But kudos to Kari Jones. He's he's done a great job. That's that's all I got.
1: Yeah, I mean Kari Jones uh, was given a job basically on the fly, he didn't have any time to really prepare for it. Uh just told one day, okay, you're the coach, we got rid of um um what's his name, um the old guy uh Sherman. Sherman. Yeah, they got rid of him. What Kari Jones brought was stability because they did not have that with Mike Sherman last year. Mike Sherman I got at times I got the feeling at times just didn't know what he was doing. And you see that a lot sometimes with guys that come up that have coached in the NFL and come up here to try and coach in the CFL. that They just they have trouble adapting, and I felt that with Mike Sherman. Kahari knew what he's doing. He knows the league. He knows the rules. He brought stability. And then they also, I think, got a bump because I don't think Kavis, a lot of people in that organization liked Cabus Reed. And then once he was gone, because if you look – The the upswing for the Montreal Alouettes started really taking hold once Kavis Reed was let go, and I think that there's a lot of people in that uh, dressing room that just didn't want anything to do with Kavis Reed, and but very much um, Karry Jones has been stabilizing for that team. He's been a good influence on that team, and hey. I was always uh, kind of sketchy about him uh, when he was an assistant coach here in B.C., but he seems like he's taken to being a head coach like a duck to water. So i got to give him credit there. He's done very well. Okay, we're down to five minutes left, and we still got, I think, three segments. So I'm going to just quickly look at them because there's only a couple here, and uh, there's no point going into a long one right now. But um, So well, I'm going to hold a couple things over here. Uh, we're going to skip over the um, the receiver ranking. That we can do on Wednesday. The Ottawa, we're going to skip. I'm just going to go right to the last segment. Uh, this will cheer up Phil because we're we'll be talking about 89 and not uh, 20, uh, 2009. But the Saskatchewan Rough Riders this week in their game, they honored the 30th anniversary of the 1989 Grey Cup Championship. Um, we all remember that game at Sky Dome. Saskatchewan won 43-40. So, it's been referred to by many people as the best Grey Cup ever played. There's been some pretty good ones. Um, but I wanted to go around and just kind of get uh, the feeling here. We'll do it quickly because we're almost out of time. Was the 89 Grey Cup the best Grey Cup ever played? Phil, you can go last because I know your answer. Will, what do you think? Are you sure
3: that accident, that's accurate? Accident that's accurate, because in my mind, Saskatchewan's never won the Grey Cup. (laughs) Fair enough. You wanted me to be quick. That's all I have to say.
1: All right. It is what it is. Mark, what do you think? Was the 89 Grey Cup the best Grey Cup ever played?
2: I'd have to say yes. And if it wasn't, it would be Michael Gray's interception against BC. that I'd have to say yes.
1: Now, I'm pretty sure that didn't happen, but, um, <laughs> it, but whatever. I takes that one that a Grey Cup? Holy shit. Yeah, apparently. I was a small child last time that happened, but whatever. Not that I was ever a small child. Okay, Phil, we know your answer, but tell us why the 89 Grey Cup was the greatest Grey Cup ever. Well,
4: you know, so I, I would love to talk about that. Before. I would love to talk about that, but I want to give out some honorable mentions to the 1987 Grey Cup uh, between, yep. I believe, Toronto and, and Edmonton. I want to give out an honourable mention to the one that the referees handed to the Canadian team in 1994 for the BC Lions. And, I, and uh, also uh, the 2016 Grey Cup uh, where Henry Burris won his, his uh, first Grey yep. Cup with the Ottawa Rough Riders. or Ottawa sorry, Oh my God. Ottawa Red Blacks. And I also want to point out how that led into the best winter of football I have ever seen in my life. 2016, uh, we had the, after the gray cup, which I thought was one of the best ones ever played led into the, uh, the college football playoff, which was fantastic. The national championship game, which was fantastic and went, led into, uh, the best, uh, NFL playoffs ever and culminated in the best Super Bowl ever. Uh, with a big comeback for the, the New England Patriots.
1: The, uh, against that's the all yeah, against the
4: Atlanta And okay. I guess I'm yeah, uh, probably surprising you guys.
1: Yeah, kind of, yeah. But, yeah, um, but you know, Grey Cup was the best one. Yeah, sure. personally for me, I'm just going to go real quickly. I still think, in my mind, the best Grey Cup game ever was 1996, Toronto and Edmonton in the snow, uh, 43-37 some of the crazy plays in that one I remember Eddie Brown kicking the ball into his hands, that was a spectacular great cup uh, but um, I don't have a lot of time to go on it because we're down to the final minute so it's time to say goodnight, uh, so this has been episode 396 of the Let's Talk CFL podcast, let's go around quickly, 10 seconds, say goodnight we'll start with Will
3: Good night, everybody, watch football or see you on Wednesday uh, go Owls.
1: Yep. Phil, say goodnight
4: Good night, everybody. Uh, Saskatchewan's on a bye week, and so am I. I probably won't be back for about ten days.
1: Okay. Uh, Mark, say good night. Good night, everybody, and
2: BC sucks.
1: But they at least won this week. All right, and I also want to quickly thank Jamie uh, Ferentz, who joined us for the first half an hour of this show, and thank everyone here for listening who was on the show We're going into the work week, but we're going to be back in about three days, and we got um, more fun football to preview coming up on Wednesday. Thanks for listening tonight, folks. Uh, Good night, and have a